Hey everybody, it's been a while. Uh, welcome to We Make the Pod by Talking. I'm here with Carlos, and uh, we're. I don't. I don't. I don't remember the last episode we did, but I'll have to yeah. look through it. But it's been a while, and I know Carlos, um, you're making a transition to be going to China to uh, be teaching and doing research in uh, Nanjing. And yeah, today we're just going to be having a general conversation and just talking about, you know, maybe uh, just different topics on Carl's decision to go to China and just kind of having different thoughts and processing, you know, different kind of feelings uh, about the trip. Or you know you're pretty much going to be living there for at least a year. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I'll start by saying uh, I have this plan of moving to China, uh, in particular to Nanjing. Uh, how did that happen? So, uh, well, so w- like, what am I going to be doing there? I should start. So I'll be there for a postdoc. Um, it's uh, basically a research position that is common to take um, for a PhD for fresh PhDs, uh, PhD recipients, and uh, usually a PhD recipient fresh out of their program. They do a couple postdocs, maybe one, maybe several, before they land an actual um, tenure track job uh, as a prof- or professorship or whatever. Um, and, uh, usually lots of, lots of universities offer these types of programs, postdocs. Um, and my situation is that, uh, I'm actually taking one in China at the university of Nanjing, uh, where I'll be doing, working under a professor there who studies a second language, second language acquisition. So how adults learn language or particular languages. And um, I'll be working under her, supporting that project, and uh, and then I'll kind of be doing stuff on the side. Uh, I might teach. They've asked me about teaching. Um, I've said I could teach stuff, so we'll see. That's that's kind of up in the air as far as I know at the moment. But what's certain is that I'm there for like a research job. And uh, how did I? How did I find out about this position? What what was the process from from for me to go from my program into this uh, position? So uh, this has kind of been in the works for uh, over a year. Actually, I interviewed for this more than a year ago. Actually, um, last summer, summer of two, 2020, I was finishing up my program. And uh, around that time, uh, a friend of mine told me about a uh, these postdoctoral programs, or basically funding from China, from the Chinese government, for to host like postdocs to do various projects at their at their universities. Um, she told me about this. She herself is uh, is a professor in China. She's been there for a couple years now. Uh, yeah, and she, you know, this was a good friend of mine. She was able to like to let me know about the this these types of programs, and uh, I was interested. So I applied. I applied for one. She uh, told me about. Um, well, I applied for a couple programs. 
and she kind of helped my case by telling me, tell, telling her colleagues about me, people who would actually interview me. And so I eventually got an interview um, and I met with some professors at Nanjing University. Uh, apparently that was a good interview. They liked me. And um, the response I got was that I should apply for a different program rather than the one I, I had applied for. And so I did. So there was this whole other application process, but there wasn't any necessary um, second interview for that, right? They had already interviewed me and asked me what they would have wanted to know. So uh, that was sort of later in 2020. I was working on another this other application. And then earlier this year, I got approved. Uh, so I was ba I was hired, basically. They um, the funding was set, like the, the money came from the gov government to the university was already sent. Uh, they were holding the money. They were ready to hire, to hire, have me there, basically. Uh, all I needed was a, a, a visa of some type to welcome me into the country to work, right? Uh, that ended up being another long process. So this, I want to say, eight-month process or more even of just getting the visa because first the consulates were closed and then later on uh, I had to recollect some materials uh, to apply for a visa then I had to get a different type of visa because the consulate saw my materials were like conflicting in the message and so I needed some a work visa finally I got my work visa uh, just like a week or so ago and I bought my ticket, and so now I'm ready to go to China at the end of January and start this position. Um, so that's how that's how I I'm gotten into this situation. Um, how do I feel about this now? So my feelings are are pretty mixed. Uh, on the one hand, I'm pretty I'm very excited uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, more than anything, I'm excited to have a job, which is nice. Um, I've never, I've been in school for a while. Uh, I've, I've only, it's only been a year, a little over a year that I haven't been in some type of academic program uh, for for a while. So, um, sort of, I'm sort of fresh into the job market, still in a way, uh, and. Yeah, it's exciting to be able to work finally. Like I've I've done all this school. I'm tired of school. I've been able to get a PhD out of it. Like I'm ready to work, um, and you know have my get my keep have my hands get busy. Um, so that's what I'm excited about more than anything. I'm also you know pretty excited to go to China because it's it sounds like an interesting experience to work there. Uh, China is itself just an exciting, di very dynamic country at the moment. It's in the news a lot. You hear about it. Um, it's a it's competing with like the West as a world superpower. Um, it's uh, progressively becoming more developed. It's transforming a lot. Um, it's a whole other civilization. You know, it's it's just it's a very yeah, it's just a very interesting it just it just sounds very interesting on paper. 
and uh, it'd be interesting to kind of be there to see how much, what types of other transformations are occurring or just to be there to witness its development, right? Into like this, this further development into like this superpower, right? Um, so that's, that's kind of cool too. Uh, and I, I've been to China before in 2007. I was there briefly. I got to experience the culture, which was really different and like very interesting. And I hear it's changed even now it's changed since 2007 like it's i hear it's changed a lot from what like 15 years ago not 50 yeah 50, 13 or let's just say 13 years ago right um so yeah so that it'll be it'll be interesting it'll be interesting just to be there to see what's happening uh to work there to see how it's how it's changed and yeah to kind of take it all in um, so that's cool. So I'm all, I'm very excited for that. I'm also very nervous. I've also been nervous. I'm anxious. I'm less anxious than I, than I was, um, a year ago, a lot less anxious. Uh, but yeah, so before I was very anxious about the whole process. It took a long time for me, uh, to hear about, you know, the, the guarantee of this job. Uh, it took a while for me to get a visa. There was a lot of things that were, that made me feel like I was in some type of perpetual limbo, right? In terms of work. And I kept feeling like I need to apply for something else. I ended up taking a couple other part-time jobs. In the meantime, I had a part-time job as an adult education instructor earlier this year. Uh, I worked at Berkeley the second half of this year. Uh, as a part-time lecturer. So I've had a couple part-time jobs in the meantime, just to uh, to keep me busy while I wait for the visa and stuff like this. So, um, and uh, so I was anxious about the guarantee of this, of this job. And I was also anxious about just the prospect of moving. Uh, the prospect of moving of, of moving again uh of uh going to a very different place and uh that speaks a different language having to adapt again to an environment um having the immigrant experience right especially at my age where like i'm already 35 I kind of feel like I want to settle down actually a little bit. I'm starting to feel like that. Like, you know, I'm still thinking about kids and, and the abstract. I do have a girlfriend right now, but you know, I'm, I'm we're not that far along. Uh, and uh, this is kind of an, in, this feels like an interruption to a lot of things, right? It feels like, uh, like if I wanted to buy a house here in the U S ever, this would be delaying that it seems like, cause I wouldn't even be here to look around for homes. Right. Um, I would, I'd be far from my girlfriend at the moment. Um, I'd be a far, really far away from my family. The farthest I could be for, you know, a year. Um, you know, there's a, I can't really visit people, uh, that often. And, uh, yeah it's it's kind of scary that's that's sort of scary being far away from all like you know my loved ones and people who are close to me 
and uh, just feeling like this is going to delay things. Yeah, like I can't be settled, basically. I'm still moving around. And um, so that's that's something that makes me a little anxious, too. So that's something that still makes me a little anxious. Um, and uh, so what else? Yeah, and then, yeah, just having, like... Uh, yeah, so it, so it is those two things. It's being so far away, away from everything, and feeling like I'm delaying um, adulthood in a way, you know, or finalizing adulthood and stuff like that. And then the, also the there's the other aspect of just, you know, feeling like I have to adapt to a new culture, right? If I were to go to Europe, so like, you know, I could, I could be a far away in Europe, for example, but at least in Europe, tons of people speak English, everything's in like roman scripts you know i could probably adapt there faster because there's a lot of familiar things but here we're talking about china where you know things will be really different um i'll basically be illiterate for a long time you know uh i'll have kind of that situation like because i won't be able to read stuff right i'll have to ask directions um i can't ne i won't necessarily be able to read a book I'd have to find like a special library I'll have like a real immigrant experience basically right and that's kind of scary because I think that's something I'm not used to um everywhere else I've been to I've been to Europe I've been to Latin America like I, people speak English or Spanish and I'm able to get by I'm able to read stuff right yeah but China it, it won't be like that so it feels like it'll be a lot of work right a lot of work to be somewhere where i that a lot of work to be somewhere and live somewhere that might not be permanent anyway right um so yeah so that's that's kind of what i'm anxious about too so in short excited to have a job excited to go to a new country experience some, like a very interesting country uh but then anxious to be far away and anxious to like work uh, anxious about being an immigrant yeah i guess uh maybe this is i don't know some kind of immigrant anxiety or whatever but yeah so th that those are my feelings yeah thanks for sharing that yeah those i feel like those anxiety is uh very typical especially mm -hmm. if you're moving to a different country and going to a country where you don't speak the language and um yeah, I, I am wondering if there's even like an American community in like the area where you're going to be, mm -hmm. you know, if they're going to be like other immigrants that can speak your language. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of um, there are people there that speaking there's a community of English speakers, for sure. Um, when I had my interview, my interview was in English. Right. So a lot of professors speak English there. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure because, you know, there's um, a lot of the universities host research departments that are based in disciplines that were probably started in the West. Right. And so a lot of the foundational literature is in English. Um, right. They have English departments at these schools. Right. So if only because of that, there's English speakers there. Uh, but also, I mean, I could just imagine mathematics, physics, a lot of uh, 
a lot of the STEM fields are probably have probably have a lot of English speakers because people want access to uh, English language journals and English language research, right? Um, social sciences for sure. I think I I wonder if there's any tradition of social science that is indigenous to China. I'm not sure, um, but they definitely have psychology. Um, sociology, uh, philosophy department, like Western philosophy departments, they have stuff like this, and all of that is is stuff that's um, more efficiently done if you have knowledge of English, right? So there is a definitely a community of English speakers, right? Particularly at at the university, yeah. Whether there's a community of Americans, I'm not sure. I would I would question that actually. I would I would think not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do wonder if there are a lot of Americans that move to China, or um, or what kind of Americans actually would you know live in China? Like, is it only like mm -hmm. people with a higher degree? I don't see like working class you know Americans going to move to China for work. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know if China does have a lot of uh, laborers. That's like from overseas because I know like South Korea mm. and Japan has like a lot of Filipino immigrants or uh, mm. you know immigrants even from China too actually I don't know how it is now but like back then it was just like the 90s uh, you know most of the like the domestic housework in Japan was done by like immigrants from Philippines or uh, like Southeast Asia like Vietnam but yeah I don't really know how it is in China and then I'm sure it's different in different regions of China Mm -hmm. and who knows if they even get like eastern european or russians you know working in china to do like specific jobs but i do i do know they get russian tourists I, that's that's pretty common because russia's pretty close. very close yeah 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 and um i i remember visiting china when i visited china uh i actually saw lots of tourists from everywhere i remember spanish tourists italian tourists and I do remember the Russian tourists, right? Because we were doing, we were there on a tourist trip too. So I was running into lots of other tourists. Yeah, we went to the Great Wall and Forbidden City and stuff like that. Yeah, so I, I saw, I saw tourists from everywhere and uh, definitely Russian tourists. Yeah. But yeah, work, whether they come as workers, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, for Americans... I think there's at least two types of Americans that go to China. One is, um, I guess, academics like myself. Uh, I'm not sure how big of a community that is, but um, I'm sure that's there. Uh, but also certain entrepreneurs, I think people who are in international business, you know, they're, they're interested in accessing the, the Chinese market, right? Chinese consumers, so especially because every you know they're all getting more money now, right? The middle class is growing. They have, uh, you have a large community of of people who are you know have disposable income suddenly. So, um, you know, lots of international businesses are interested in tapping into that, right? So, um, yeah, those those are the the two types I think would of Americans that would go to China.
Yeah, I mean, this kind of falls into your first category you mentioned, but like people who teach English. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know that I have a friend that I forget what city he's been in there for years, but he's practically living there. But he's Vietnamese American. Uh, okay. He really loves it. He's just been there for years. And uh, he's been teaching English in China. Although I feel like the more popular places are Japan and South Korea. When, you know, when I hear about Americans talking about like wanting to teach English in Asia, it's primarily like Japan or South Korea. I don't really hear anyone that wants to like teach in China. And yeah, I don't, so it's, yeah. The, it's the places that the U.S. defeated. Yeah. Oh, that, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> or like places that the U.S. are also like really uh, allied with, or I guess you could say puppets of, like even Taiwan too, because, you know, yeah. My brother has gone there too. And he said there's a lot of, uh, you know, Americans and Western folks that just kind of yeah. go there and teach English. And they kind of tend to stick together and they don't like venture out to the locals. And, you know, he didn't really like that. So he just kind of did his own thing. Mm. I see. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear that also with like uh, people wanting to teach English in like Vietnam and India too. But those are kind of less common uh, I just hear more about Japan and South Korea since those are, I guess, most, you know, like more popular countries in the eyes of the West. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder why that is, but I'm pretty sure part of it is like, I'm pretty sure part of it is because of, yeah, U.S. influence and occupation and stuff like that. And yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm not sure. China, China where you know whereas china is um it's 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 interesting i think i think there's uh this this is there's probably tons of reasons why china is less popular uh for tourism than japan it's in south korea i mean just assuming that which i think is true but, but um uh i think i don't know why just one reason that i think i could think of is just that is uh due to sinophobia sinophobia is like a real thing uh especially in the u.s right where we have like asian hate crimes um and uh where that comes from i think it come i think is in large part just like the competition that exists between the u.s and china as like competing superpowers in the world right um i think some of the I think some of the, uh, what would you call it? The marketing of, uh, or what would you, the slander, I guess. Yeah, I'll just call it slander. So I think some slander against China that exists in the West is is sort of um, intention, intentional, right? Uh, from say like US elites or whoever controls media or stuff like this, I think, um, I think there is a little bit of a campaign to just slander China because it is a competing power. Um, and that contributes to Sinophobia and yeah, Sinophobia ultimately comes from, comes from that, right? That this sort of, um, the identity, the identification of this whole civilization that can compete with like the West and Western values and things like that. Right. Um, yeah uh there's probably tons of other reasons but i'm not sure but yeah yeah like i i think i'd have to be more well versed in chinese history itself 
Oh, even the, I mean, you've kind of already said it, like the mainstream media, New York Times, Washington Post, the way that yeah. the headlines are kind of sentenced about China, it's always kind of negative light. Yeah. They do something that's even like slightly negative. They really highlight it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, I mean, the, the, like the, you could, the evidence for this, you can just, you could just point to World War Two, like World War, the, like World War Two era in the U.S. and like just the, the uh, things that were happening during World War Two in the U.S. Right with like Japan and the Japanese American community there, right? Like the Japanese American community used to be pretty persecuted in the U.S. Right, just for their associations with Japan. Japan was at war with the u.s right they were a uh they were a militant force against the u.s we had like you know pearl harbor and uh the uh competition for influence in the pacific between the u.s and japan right um and at home Right, we had the we had this persecution of Japanese Americans, but not just putting them in internment camps, but also, you know, just slanderizing them, having these, you know, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, calling got, people Japs and, well, and yeah. stuff like that, right? Offensive terms, and even that's, getting their properties taken away too. Yeah, so that's all disappeared now, right? Like no one no one hates japanese people you don't really see uh hate crimes specifically against japanese people as much as you did during the world war ii era right now everybody loves japan japan's this sort of elevated culture right um and why is that i think i think i think i think it has everything to do with japan being tamed by the u.s in a way right it's no longer an empire it's sort of like as you suggested it's sort of a they have a something like a puppet government that always coordinates with whatever the U.S. wants to do, right? Um, I don't know a whole lot about that, but that's just my my suspicion. Um, so now, because they are cooperating with the U.S., now they're um, what is it? Now they're now they look good, right? The media wants to make their culture look good we want japanese exports we want to uh, you know the elites in the u.s want to promote those because they are such well-behaved it is such like a well-behaved uh culture now or country now basically oh even in the 80s the 1980s uh japan was in economic competition with uh, you know they were rising economically and like the car industry was taking over and uh, like the Vincent Chin case, the two white guys that killed Vincent Chin thought he was a was a Jap, you know. So I feel okay. like even in the '80s there was still some sort of a like a I don't know if there's a word called Japanophobia, but like anti-Japanese sentiment, at least with the working mm. class Americans, just because of the economic competition, specifically with the you know car industry. So. Yeah, I can see that. I wonder what's happened to that because. You know that that was forty. What was it? That was like forty years ago yeah. now. Yeah. So I wonder. We still have Japanese. We still have competition between, you know, Japanese and American car industry. But so, but for some reason, that rivalry has disappeared, right? Or yeah. whatever. 
right? That or like or the expression of that rivalry has disappeared. So I wonder what happened there. Uh, in contrast, we still have sinophobia, right? We still have a lot of sinophobia, and so uh, that that's that's never gone away. And so, um, and it's funny actually if you think back to World War II. I remember learning about, I forget where I learned about this, but learning about uh, certain types of propaganda where you'd have these posters that would instruct Americans about how to tell the difference between Chinese and Japanese, right? And to like, to like be able to identify Chinese Americans as people who were like friendly, right? People were friendly, uh, people we were not at war with, and the Japanese as like potential spies, right? Stuff like that. Right. So that was an era where like sinophobia was less of a thing. Right. There was at least a campaign against sinophobia because they were allies against the Japanese. Right. Uh, but but no. But since then, uh, because the Cold War has ended and because, uh, well, China's I mean, at least since the end of World War Two, like since there hasn't there's been no need for an alliance between the US and China against anything else right now they're competitors now we have sinophobia again right yeah um and that's just been this perpetual thing because China has has always i i think main, mainly because China has been has retained its competitor status right um yeah 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 i think it i think it has a lot to do with that and it, i mean that's not the only thing i'm pretty sure but yeah that's 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 kind of what i notice most yeah, yeah and that, that's the sinophobia is also true for both sides of the party you know whether democrat or republican uh, yeah liberal or conservative because even right. in like liberal media yeah no no one is friendly to china no one in yeah no yeah. institution no political institution in the U.S. is friendly to China. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are friendlier, but yeah, not. I mean, like it's... John Cena is probably one of the most. Yeah, yeah, ones. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Cena. <laughs> and then yeah, there... we, don't, we don't know his political affiliation. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the people are calling People are like calling him out on that stuff too, but you know, John Cena just I don't think he cares. Yeah, but why? Yeah, it's ridiculous because why? Like, why? What call him out on on what? On being friendly to China? What's bad yeah. about being friendly? Yeah, we want people to be friendly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He saw. Uh, I don't know. He watched Trevor Noah. I, I don't really watch his stuff as much, but um, he's no. kind of like the the he replaced John Stewart. Kind of like right. the liberal, uh, like the liberal news comedian dude. So he talked about how like China was colonizing Africa. So he kind of goes into that sinophobic uh, propaganda too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, well, so I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't, I don't really watch Trevor Noah. I haven't seen, definitely haven't seen his coverage of China. Um, that's interesting that he points that out. Yeah. Um, I guess that's uh, that's part of the the media's campaign, the U.S. media's campaign against China too. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, campaign against China, it's also a projection of what you know the United States has done to other countries. 
Yeah. Like we're talking about like, cause there's the, you know, the propaganda about like Xinjiang and the Uyghur genocide, you know, supposedly there's a genocide, but there hasn't mm -hmm. been any evidence or proof. And right. the media just kind of likes to play that, like depict, you know, China as an oppressive, uh, you know, government against the Muslims. But yet, like United States has Guantanamo Bay and has bombed right. a lot of like Middle Eastern countries, you know, China has never done that. Mm -hmm. So it's like a projection. And I feel like yeah, that's the same thing. That's the same thing with like accusing China of being a, like an imperialist country against like African countries. Because a lot of European countries have been colonizing Africa. Yeah, Ch China, as far as I know, China has not forced itself on, on, on Africa. Like the U.S. has forced itself on other places. Like how it forced itself on the Philippines. How it forced itself on Puerto Rico. How it forced itself, um, you know, just throughout the West. Um yeah, like uh, maybe, I, I mean, there's, these are, these are all things that we can accuse the U.S. of doing as well. And so, yeah, we can, I mean, it's, it's okay. It might be nice to, you know, point the finger at some entity for doing, for, for doing wrong. Maybe they are doing wrong, but it is really it is it is like also very hypocritical when you also don't look inward and look at the things the similar things that your own country might be doing right and maybe you do that maybe maybe you do both right maybe you call out wrongdoing in china and also call out wrongdoing by the us right uh, but if you are in the us why not focus more on how the us is doing it right because that's that's where the problem is closer yeah it's um yeah it's it's yeah it, it's pretty it's pretty dumb i think i think yeah. yeah i think i don't know the u.s needs to focus more on the domestic stuff that the people yeah. can actually benefit from like all that money spent on military is useless mm -hmm. that could be just used for like healthcare for everybody or spend money on education like we could totally like give college access like free for everybody yeah. with all that budget that we have in the military and mm -hmm. you know homelessness crisis if we provide affordable housing um, mm -hmm. you know people can't afford to buy homes anymore especially in california mm -hmm. right yeah focus on domestic issues we have pl plenty of issues here at home yeah and it's probably from the negligence the, the from negligence uh from from focusing too much on other other problems in in across the world and competing with these other world these other world powers yeah just i guess trying to be the uh <laughs> yeah like the world's remain the world's biggest superpower like what's what's the point of that yeah I, yeah i don't i don't yeah what's the point if like your own people are suffering yeah so many people are in poverty yeah yeah people can't people like most people in the u.s probably can't even take advantage of that superpower status right so what benefit is it to them you know that the u.s is remains the world's strongest superpower yeah yeah
kind of going back to the our initial topic, uh, I'm kind of curious, like, because, like, you know, the process of you going through China, and I'm sure you've to told it, like your family and friends and people, you know, like, what has been kind of the reaction from just the, the people that you know, like, have they been like, oh, that's pretty cool? Or is it kind of like, hey, why the hell are you going there type of uh, appealing? It's mixed. Yeah, it's 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 mixed. Some people think it's cool. Some people think it's weird. Uh, um, yeah, a lot of people. A lot of, uh, you know, and, and that's from like, pe pe I think that's from people who both either know about the situation or and understand what it's like in China and what it's like in the US or people who are like, and also people who are, you know, kind of naive about both or don't really know what's what's at what's in China, right? Um, yeah, I think it's people from all walks all, from all walks of life that have like different opinions about it. Um, yeah, I remember from I mean the reason I think the the main reason I picked I decided to take this opportunity was because uh, I did have a a professor who recommended it, right? Like I had a professor who I talked with, who I, who I, um, who I consider to be very wise, right? I think he's, he's given me and other people good advice in the past. Um, he suggested that, well, this is, I mean, at least, at least in contrast to other opportunities I have at the moment, this is the best thing because it's a real research job compared to the part-time lecturer jobs, part-time instructor jobs that I've had in the past year, right? As nice as it is to have, you know, some affiliations through these um, part-time jobs, what I really need is a research job. What I really need is something that's going to um, encourage my career development uh, as a researcher. And I, that's true. I think that's true. And that's, that's going to happen with this job, with this postdoc. The, the reason to move to China is it's not to just go to China, right? It's to, it's really for a job, right? I'm going there for a job. I'm going there for career development. I'm going there to uh, add things to my CV and my resume, right? Wait, and that's true. Like I'll be able to do that all of that and I'll have a better opportunity to do that compared to the US at least given my own circumstances so and I, I yeah and I, I trusted that advice and I believe it yeah some people I've had some friends say no you should stay at Berkeley build relationships well that's that's what I already did you know I was here for a semester for several months, uh, the chair, the current chair of the department got to know me, right? Uh, we became familiar. Uh, other professors there know me now, right? They remember me and uh, they'll remember me for a while, right? So I, I already did that. What's the difference between doing that for a semester and doing that for like another year and a half? You know, that doesn't get me much more. Um, so the argument of uh, staying to build relationships doesn't doesn't really hold water right i've been able to do that in five months already um 
I could stay for like other opportunities uh, in Berkeley, right? Like maybe something opens up in the meantime. Well, I, I don't have to be there to apply for jobs at Berkeley. Like anyone can apply for a job at Berkeley, right? You don't have to be an employee there. Um, and then um, there's some there's some like job competitions that really I'm not I'm really not uh, uh, eligible for. So there was this one competition for um, Hispanic. It, it, it was a cluster hire, right? For different positions across different departments. Uh, and uh, my housemate was actually telling me I should apply for that, right? Because it's a Hispanic cluster of hire. They want Hispanics and all of these different social science departments, maybe some STEM. I wasn't sure, but it's mostly social science stuff. And um, I decided not to apply because I thought it'd be a waste of time. And then I found out that it was. It would have been. It would have been a waste of time because who got? Who were the people that? Um, uh, I, I so I found a I found an uh, an announcement for the job talks for the finalists for these for these Hispanic cluster hires, and who were the finalists? The finalists were tenured people from other universities, right? These were tenured faculty from other more I guess you could call them like lesser prestige universities, uh, people who are interested who who already very established uh tenured right they're like associate or full professors and they're interested in moving to berkeley i wasn't going to compete with them how was i going to compete with them i'm fresh fresh out of uh my own program and so it, it would have been a huge waste of time to apply for that yeah because it ended up this competition ended up being really for for Hispanic scholars who are already like tenured, basically, right? So it would have been a waste of time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the opportunities at Berkeley are not. I don't. Yeah, they're not really. At not at the moment. At the moment, they're not for me. You know, they're not designed for my current circumstances. Right. I really need just some job some type of postdoc that'll help me get to that point right and that's going to be somewhere else right that's not going to be at berkeley not necessarily in china but china's the first opportunity i've had to like to get a postdoc so yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it's the response has been mixed uh you know my my parents they're kind of worried because it's covid and because not just because of COVID, but because of the tense relations between China and the U.S., right? There's, there is a bit to be nervous about, but I'm I'm not as worried about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think in terms of COVID, I think it'll be safer over there. You're right. Right. Yeah, I'll be safer over there, right? Because, you know, they, they kind of, they have everything under control, basically. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have, you hardly have COVID cases. You have, you, you have a very minimal uh, rise in COVID cases over there. Right? Yeah. And then if they, very few. even if the few people get COVID in one area, they do a pretty good job containing it. Right. right. Over here, we yeah. have like 
hundreds of people. Yeah, people walk around, they can just spread COVID however they want. You have super spreader events and stuff like that. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I I, I think I heard recently that uh like this month, um COVID case has been the same as last year's, like around this time. So it mm-hmm. hasn't like really decreased. Yeah. Or like more people. I, I don't know if I gotta look through the research it again but like more people have died or have gotten more covid under biden than trump uh, or there's some kind of uh, comparison statistics about that too yeah well that's because uh well if i mean i, I wonder i wonder uh if they're counting the same the same timeline because we've already we've already had more months of of covid under biden that we did under trump but i don't know i wonder how they're counting that yeah but like uh what is it um i lost my train of thought i don't remember what i was going to say honestly i don't i don't really notice or feel the difference between trump and biden sure yeah uh i think it i think it just has to do with the 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 season right because i think uh i think this is cold weather this is virus it's virus season basically right yeah we do have a similar rise in winter because that's that's how winters that's how winter is right winter is the season you get cold you get the flu you know it's going to be the it's going to be the season that you see a rise in covid cases yeah i think that's i, I think it just comes down to that yeah well, I mean, even in general, like outside of COVID, like the presidential like term. <laughs> like, oh, I, really? Yeah, I, I still don't feel any different. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the only difference is that you don't really hear news about Trump. Which is nice, yeah. Which is, yeah, that's cool. Things are more chill, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I don't. I don't feel very different maybe that maybe that just says how impotent we are as uh you know just in um confronting covid right like yeah there's not there's really nothing we can do against this unless we do things more like some other country yeah which i which don't we're not we're not going to do yeah that. i don't foresee that happening yeah yeah are you gonna you're gonna be in China for the Beijing Olympics, huh? I mean, I know you're not I didn't gonna think be in about Beijing. That. When is that? When I, is? I I thought it was in 2022. What what month is that though? Like what winter? Month? I'm not exactly sure. If it's in February, then yeah. I know there's I been there's been like uh, American press calling for boycotts or telling people not to go. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It might be better. It's maybe it'll not. It, it'll slow the spread of transmission of COVID. Right. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be funny. That'd be the real reason to boycott, just to stop the spread, right? Yeah. Or the more legitimate reason. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it's in February, March, then yeah, I'll be there. If it's, if it's next month, then probably not, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Oh, and, and I guess another thing I'm kind of nervous about, like, uh, so the project I'll be working on there is really not, it, it's different from my, my specialty. So I'll be working on second language acquisition. I've never done research on second language acquisition, right? So this is also, uh, it's also a new, it's really, a, it, it's really a new field for me. And so I'll kind of have to do a lot of reading to prepare, uh, look at research papers and figure out how to emulate them for our own project and um and uh yeah so that that's something it, it'll be a very different yeah it'll be a very um life-changing experience really not just being in a different country but doing doing research but doing a different type of research than even i'm used to right yeah yeah so there's going to be yeah this is going to this trip's going to come with a lot of a lot of changes yeah, a lot, a lot of, of lifestyle changes a lot yeah. of new things yeah you got to uh, practice your Mandarin like John Cena yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there's this funny there's this funny com uh, video comparison of John Cena and The Rock speaking Chinese I don't know if you've seen that no. You gotta send me that video. That's yeah, I'll, cool. I'll look for it. It's it's funny because it's John Cena. Like it, it's first, it's John Cena who's like speaking, uh, like decent Chinese. I think I, I don't understand him, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know why he speaks Chinese. I'll have to look at that. Um, uh, and then it cuts to The Rock, and The Rock is using like fake Chinese to insult somebody, right? Just or you know like. I don't I, I don't know how to explain it like sort of a uh kind of uh like a what is it a joke imitation you know he's just saying sounds basically you know to yell at somebody yeah so it's yeah it's this weird <laughs> it's kind of yeah it's kind of funny <laughs> Because it's John Cena, like pro like probably seriously speaking Chinese, and then it's The Rock who's just like kind of insulting, <laughs> insulting someone in like insultingly bad Chinese or something. Yeah, I know it's about to be eight. Uh, I don't know if you still want to stick around longer or if you just want to. I wish I could, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably have to get going. We could probably we could probably just do this again another okay. day into part two and then like just remember where we left off yeah i don't know if there's anything else uh i mean not, i mean not for right now for the but for part two like was there anything else you wanted to expand on or um just to do like a quick summary you don't have to go into detail not, yeah not 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 really um i'm happy to talk more about china but like yeah i'd really it'll definitely be better when i'm there <laughs> oh yeah I'm definitely yeah, yeah, and i should say talk yeah. about my experience there but i'm also like i don't mind talking about it more maybe just like if we maybe we should, could think of some other questions yeah i'll try to get george on here too i think that yeah be that'd be good, good. that'd be good because he's he's also trying to move yeah yeah or i don't know if there's anyone else that you know that's kind of very knowledgeable about china that doesn't really fall into the american propaganda yeah yeah that would be yeah it's funny. I I think I know someone who's very knowledgeable of, about China, but also does have sort of this. He's also part of the imperial agenda. I think so. Of the U.S. side. 
on the US side. Yeah, I think so. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll see. I, I mean, he's not he's not really a he's like a he's a guy I remember from college, and I still see him active on Facebook. But I don't. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't really talk to him that much. Yeah, like hey, you want to do a podcast about China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big topic. We could do a couple. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got this week. Uh, I mean, I, I you know, as my break next week, I go back, but uh, yeah, I'll probably be available on Thursday. We'll, we'll figure it out. You just yeah, yeah. Me. It might have to be. It might have to be like wait till the second week of January. Yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. Figure it out. All right, then. All right, Carlos. Take care and congratulations right. once again on getting that and accepting that job in uh, Nanjing. Mm -hmm. And I cool. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Man. It's it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I'm happy to talk about it and share. And yeah, it's always always a pleasure to to hang out and talk to you. Talk. Uh, I might be. Me and my girlfriend are actually going to San Diego next week and. I don't know, maybe we can like meet up and like while, while we're passing through LA or something. Yeah, let me know. Okay. All right, man. Take care.